Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Play ball! It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Hi, everyone. A special winter meetings edition of 30 with Murdy from San Diego. I'm Sweeney Murdy. A lot happening and a lot involving the Yankees. And we'll do a special roundtable edition here to uh, give you more on the happenings, especially involved in the Yankees and Garrett Cole. Word coming down late Tuesday night here in San Diego. The Yankees had agreed to the nine-year, $324 million deal with Garrett Cole. Helping me break that down, Yes Network analysts Jack Curry and John Flaherty. Well, obviously, Garrett Cole's the big story. Let me get your just your initial thoughts on the deal for 9 and 324. Jack, we'll start with you. Massive deal. Sweeney, a, a memorable day in Yankee history. They prioritized Cole. That was their number one target. And then they were aggressive, persistent, went to his doorstep and said, we want you as a Yankee. And I, I think they overwhelmed him. And I think that they made sure that they were going to be able to conclude this deal, get this guy in-house, and now you look at that rotation, I think it's the best rotation in baseball. John, when you drop a bag full of money on a guy's front lawn, it makes a statement, but the Yankees seem to go a little bit extra just to make sure that they uh, that, that Garrett knew how much they wanted him, and they kind of played to his senses by bringing Andy Pettit into the, uh, into the uh, meeting and say, hey, do you remember your boyhood idol? Here yeah. he is. You know what, Sweeney, uh, we've been talking for years about how disciplined the Yankee organization is when they're making decisions on free agents. You think back last year to Corbin, right, and they didn't want to go uh, the extra mile for that. And I applaud the Steinbrenner family this time around. They said this is the guy that we have to bring in here. We have to overwhelm him. They not only did it with the years and the money, they did it bringing in Andy Pettit. They brought the pitching coach out to go through all the analytics and how maybe Cole can get even better. Um, So I just think the commitment was – we're not going to be disciplined on this one. We're going to do whatever it takes to get it done. So the Yankees didn't pass this time. Some would use that word. I would not. I would never use that. Nine years is a long time. Do you care? Not right away. Um, I, as an ex-catcher and an analyst, am interested to see how he makes a transition to being an older pitcher, right? We've seen it with Andy Pettit. We've seen it with CeCe Sabathia, Mike Mussina. Um, so I don't worry about that. I think Garrett Cole takes care of himself physically. Uh, I think he'll be able to kind of figure out a, a pitch mix that's going to work for him probably when the velocity diminishes a little bit. Uh, you know, Mike Mussina was a guy who was throwing 86 miles an hour at the end and he won 20 games because he's smart, he figured it out, and uh, he's a competitor. Four or five good years, I think you'd call it a success. But, again, nine's a long time. There's going to come a point in time where the Yankees are going to look at the just the contract, Jack, and say it's keeping us from doing something. Our buddy Tyler Kepner in the New York Times had a great statistical nugget today. In addition to Cole, there have been 10 other pitchers who have signed contracts of $150 million or more. If you go and look at each one of those contracts, you wouldn't call any of them unsuccessful, including David Price. And I know they're trying mm-hmm. to trade him right now. They won a World Series. Yeah. And that, that's the end result. And I think that's going to be the end result with Cole. We don't know what years 7, 8, and 9 are going to look like. We're, we're talking right now about year one, and, and there's a ton of excitement. I think this guy is a workhorse. I think he's going to keep himself fit. Like John, I, I am curious to see what happens when, when 98 is maybe 94 several mm-hmm. years from now. But 
I think the Yankees had to have this guy. Paxton and Tanaka are free agents after next year. There are no Garrett Coles on the free agent market looming. Go get the guy. That's what they did. New York isn't for everyone, John, but all the signals we're getting is that this guy's going to embrace this the way CC Sabathia did, the way Mike Messina did, and maybe be able to put aside distractions and perform to the level people expect him to perform. Yeah, you don't know what it's like uh, to play at Yankee Stadium in front of those fans until you get out there and do it. But uh, this is a personality that I don't think we're worried about that. Is there going to be a transition? Of course. There is for every player. Um, Sometimes the expectations are actually too high, right? We signed this guy for this money. Uh, Yankee fans are going to expect him to win 20-plus games and, and, you know, not lose a game. That's not going to happen. So um, there's going to be a transition period. But from all accounts and everything we've heard about this guy, uh, it's not a concern. Wait, he, didn't, he didn't lose last year from, from May on, yeah, right? Yeah. He, he did not right. have a start that he lost. He's got to do that all over again. That, that's what $36 million is about. I put a little sarcasm hashtag when, in there. When he gives up a run in the first inning on opening day, it's all over, right? Right. There'll be uh, an outcry that they overpaid this guy. But, I mean, this is, this is fun stuff to cover for, for all of us. It's fun for Yankee fans. But I mentioned this on one of our shows, Sweeney, and you know this. George Steinbrenner sought out stars Mm -hmm. he wanted his team to be filled with stars so this is a George Steinbrenner-esque move as far as I'm concerned John mentioned how disciplined the Yankees have been as an organization in this moment this feels like a move that George Steinbrenner would have absolutely applauded I've always thought there's a moment you know I make the the young Frankenstein analogy where Hal Steinbrenner wakes up and recognizes what his last name is and what his ultimate destiny is is to fulfill it just like Gene Wilder and young Frankenstein and he's screaming from a rooftop right now yelling out his last name because he did what every every Yankee fan really expected him to do at some point and 324 million as you said that's of course you're going to make a decision and money is going to be the reason why but in a conversation I had with uh, Scott Boris last night he gave Hal Steinbrenner a ton of praise he said he had five conversations with him there was a lot of back and forth obviously with the rest of the Yankee contingent Brian Cashman the leader amongst them but this this is a bold move I think it's a smart move and uh, I think it makes the Yankees the favorites to win it in 2020. John, you're Garrett Cole. You walk into spring training, the first year of a nine-year deal with this big paycheck. How do you live up to this? Wow, you you can't (laughs) think about that, right? I mean, I think the biggest thing for for every teammate when you walk into a new clubhouse is you want to fit in right away. And, you know, we don't – this is going to be fun for us when we see him walk Mm -hmm. into that clubhouse. Is he going to be a a big personality in the clubhouse? Is he going to be a guy that's a little more low-key and just wants to fit in for a little bit and then find his groove? when you're a new player with a new group and you have all these expectations, it's going to be a lot of attention. I think he probably wants to deflect some of that and just get into the routine of being a New York Yankee. It's not going to be that easy for him. If I told you a year ago that Madison Bumgarner would, would be the Yankees' prize this winter, I think you would have said, wow, that's, that's yeah, great. great. But you're looking at it now as Strasburg goes back to the Nationals and if Cole had signed somewhere else, and if I said, okay, the Yankees are going to get Madison Bumgarner, it would have felt like a disappointment, wouldn't it, to some degree that the Yankees – as for all the talk of what they're trying to do and the window that they're in, just still weren't able to do it. So, I mean, this is more of a statement deal than anything else, isn't it? Well, I think it's a statement. It's also um, an appreciation that starting pitching, especially in the postseason, uh, can be a difference maker. I think what we saw from last year from the Yankees, maybe not pushing their starters deep into ball games. The mm-hmm. bullpen was fatigued a little bit. Now with Garrett Cole coming in here, and you think about a five or seven game series, and he's going to get the ball a couple of times, two, maybe three. Um, 
boy, that takes a lot of pressure off of your bullpen, you know, and, and it, it, it enables Aaron Boone to kind of not overexpose a bullpen in a playoff series. And what I love about this as well, the Houston Astros aren't the Houston Astros anymore, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, their organization has taken a little bit of a hit with what's going on. Their rotation took a big hit with this signing. So when we go to Tampa, and if you're a Yankee, you know, member of the Yankee organization, you don't have to think about how do we beat Cole and Verlander in a seven-game series. You're thinking about we have the upper hand now. One of the trickle-down effects, Jack, to me about the bullpen is that Chad Green probably doesn't have to be used as an opener multiple times, and it changes the way Aaron Boone can deploy him and maybe look at him as the multi-inning weapon in that sixth, seventh inning role that they really envisioned and liked him a couple of years ago in. Maybe he can go back to that. That's a great point, Sweeney, and I think when you look at Cole at the top of that rotation, he's a workhorse. Let's go back to the postseason. The Yankees were trying to piece together games. Maybe if you get four innings out of the starter, then go to the bullpen. That, to me, is not going to happen with Garrett Cole. This guy is a a 250-inning-a-year type pitcher. You're not taking him out after five and a third innings. You're, You're leaving him in there to be the guy to guide you the rest of the way. And I think that's a fantastic point that you brought up about Green and the way that you can now use him two or three times a week, not always worrying about just having him as that opener. The other uh, big news around Yankee camp, and it's it's a gain for the Phillies, but the Yankees are not bringing back Didi Gregorius. We know how much he meant and what type of what type of role he had to fill and how well he filled it, uh, trying to take over for Derek Jeter. What does what? How big of a hit do you think this is? Because I mean, it was a win all the way around. The Yankees couldn't have found a more perfect replacement uh, or, or a guy who handled it better than Didi Gregorius, John. No, I, I think it was a win for the Yankee organization and their fans on how he took over for Derek, but it was also a win for Didi Gregorius. He got a chance to play every day, uh, play against left-handed pitching, proving to everybody that he can hit lefties and righties and making you know the routine play and the spectacular play in the field. So I think it was a great mix for the couple of years that he was here. But, you know, to be honest, the Yankees have shortstop covered. Uh, Gleyber Torres uh, impressed me last year at shortstop, and I, I, there were some question marks in my mind on would he be able to be an everyday shortstop. I think those question marks have gone away now, and the Yankees are covered. Uh, so they made a financial decision here that they wouldn't bring Didi back because they have a superstar young player who can play both uh, infield positions up the middle. At some point, he's going to need to get paid, too, down the road, right? Uh, I have one last thing for both of you guys. The clubhouse leadership, which Aaron Boone has pointed to quite a bit the vibe it's changing a great deal three guys who he pointed to quite regularly the last couple of years cc sabathia brett gardner and Didi gregorius we know two of them are gone for sure and at the moment we are talking i think it's still at least very possible that brett gardner is going to rejoin the yankees but how do you see this evolving does aaron judge have to take a great even greater role is garrett cole going to be expected to fill one of those roles i i think you brought up the two players i was going to mention absolutely i, I think judge is viewed as a leader in that clubhouse I think Judge, because he is such a humble guy and such a respectful guy, he has deferred over the years to the likes of Sabathia, Gregorius, and Gardner. I think that he does have to take a larger role. And I do think Cole, whether he wants it or not, is going to have to be a leader. You walk in there as the number one guy making $36 million a year, people are going to look to him. They're going to turn to him. So I think that both of those players need to have uh, impactful leadership roles. John, did 20, 22 other guys have to have somebody to look up to and lead the way as they start spring training in 2020? 
you don't have to. It just happens naturally, Sweeney. You know, I mean, and a guy like Aaron Judge, and I agree with everything Jack said, uh, he doesn't have to change, right? Just go about your business the way you've gone about your business, and everybody looks up to it. They respect it, and they pay attention. I think in Garrett Cole's case, um, you know, he needs to be the leader of that pitching staff, not only with what he does out on the mound, but kind of the example that he sets for everybody else. This is how I prepare in between my starts, and you need to follow my lead. And now for national perspective on the Cole and Yankees deal and some other situations, signings, and trade possibilities around Major League Baseball, I'm joined now by ESPN's Jeff Passan and MLB.com's Mark Feinsand. All right, guys, when we came here, did you expect that we would see not only Steven Strasburg and Garrett Cole would set records, but that we'd see it within the three days we were actually here as opposed to all the other winter meetings we've been to in the last decade? Jeff, I'll start with you. I thought Garrett Cole was going to sign this week. Yeah, I did not think Steven Strasburg was going to sign this week, and it turned out to be a pretty brilliant play by Scott Boris because if Garrett Cole signs first at the beginning of this week, what's the top end of his market? 280, 290? Right. Garrett Cole made himself $35 million because Steven Strasburg made himself about 40 or $45 million. And that ended up pushing it up that much higher and giving him that much more to set the record he did. Mark, how surprised were you? You know, I wasn't that surprised only because people kept talking about last year and how Bryce Harper and Manny Machado didn't sign until February and why would this be any different? And the reason I thought it was different was those two guys last year didn't have markets. There weren't teams willing to give them the money that they wanted. This year, right from the jump, you knew that the Yankees weren't on call, the Angels weren't on call, the Dodgers weren't on call. You knew the Nationals weren't on Strasburg. The Yankees made a visit to him, so to some extent, if he was probably a fallback plan for Cole. The Dodgers, other teams that were interested, the Padres in Strasburg. There were markets there for them. There were teams looking to pay them. Scott Boris didn't have to go out and create a market. We didn't hear about mystery teams until the final few hours yeah. before <laughs> Cole signed, which was a joke. But, uh, you know, the teams were there. The teams that were in on Cole knew what it was going to cost to get him. They weren't going in to meet with Cole saying, well, maybe we can get this guy for 225 They knew what it was going to cost roughly. And so at that point, bring the offers in and let's get this thing going. I just looked at it as elite pitching moves the market. Elite hitting does not because if you're a team, you have seven other spots on the diamond where you can figure out how to duplicate offense and not necessarily spend all that money on one guy who can hit 30 or 40 home runs. You can find that power elsewhere in your organization. Elite pitching hits the market, Jeff, and it changes the whole dynamic. You know what this sounds like, Sweeney? It sounds like July 31st. Ah, yeah. Every time you have an elite hitter, Look at J.D. Martinez and what the, you know, what the Tigers got back for him a few years ago from the Diamondbacks. Look at Manny Machado. Manny Machado was a grab bag, and you hope to get one major leaguer out of that. Pitching, on the other hand, teams always need pitching, not just because there are five spots in the rotation, but because, as we saw this postseason, if you get the right guy, you can win a championship riding him. And when you have the Yankees involved, as we've seen, Sweeney, that drives the market as well. And you and I have been around the Yankees for 20 years. When they set their sights on somebody and they identify that's the guy we want, how often do they not get him, right? Starting with Mike Messina in 2000, Messina, Giambi, Matsui, CeCe, Teixeira, AJ, uh, the list goes on and on. I just feel like Brian Cashman made it very clear by coming to California last week that he wanted this guy. And he went out there knowing what it was going to cost, 
and saying, I have to go out there and do the old John Calipari recruitment deal and show Garrett Cole, this is why you need to be a Yankee. And that's exactly what they did. You know, this is something of a rhetorical question, but when the Yankees want someone, when don't they get him? It- Cliff Lee. Cliff Lee. Cliff Lee and Greg Maddox. That's yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And, and that is, I, I think that's part of the beauty of what this organization's been able to do. It's not like Dallas Cowboys who are, you know, going up and down and trying to ride their Cowboys names to get guys. No, the Yankees put their money where their mouth is and put their mouth where their money is. They go both ways and they're able to sell the player on joining the team. It's not that they're overwhelming him with cash. It's that they say, look at what we've got here. Look at what this organization is about. If you want to win, and every one of these guys who's an elite player clearly wants to win, New York's the best place to do it. You know, and they also they do have that selling point, but they are very selective in what they do it too. I mean, there there have been guys with the market, and when they have certain salary structures that doesn't don't allow them to go after it, they know that they're lining up eventually. Uh, I think we all recognize that it was probably finally time because if you looked at Masahiro Tanaka, James Paxton as free agents, and what you know, pitchers like this aren't hitting the market. Everybody's getting extensions. So when one of these guys comes out there and he's 29 years old and you've already been in love with him since the time he was 18, you probably got to make this move. Yeah, and like you said, Cole had been sort of Brian Cashman's white whale for more than a decade. He didn't get him when they drafted him. Didn't get him when they were trying to trade for him. And like you said, these guys don't hit the market anymore. You look at the elite pitchers in the game, they're getting signed to extensions. The elite hitters in the game are getting signed to extensions. Free agency is not what it was 15 years ago where the Yankees could just outbid anybody for anybody they wanted. Those players aren't always available to them. And so uh, when they see an exceptional pitcher, and, and, I mean, we've talked about this a hundred times, the comparisons between the Cole situation and the Sabathia situation 11 years ago are numerous. And mm-hmm. right down to the state where they're from and, and the idea that they wanted to go out west, and Brian Cashman said, you know what, I'm getting this guy. Well, they won a World Series the first year with CC. We'll see if they do the same with Cole. Jeff, what's going to make this a good deal for the Yankees? Rings. Multiple. You said rings. I did say rings. Yeah. yeah. Th- these are the Yankees. And... Like you said, Mark, you guys have been covering this team for 20 years. We can go back and talk with fans who have been alive for 100 years. Nothing moves the needle like a ring, and nothing makes a dynasty like multiple rings. And I think this is the sort of team that they've put together right now that can be dynastic. Now, it's easy to say that because I certainly would have said that about the Chicago Cubs three years ago. And now they're probably going to trade Chris Bryant, who was the centerpiece of that team, the guy who they thought were going to, was going to be around for 20 years. So, you know, it's fickle because it's baseball. But I think anything short of multiple rings over the course of Garrett Cole's contract would be a disappointment. It's funny. You look back to the Sabathia year when they signed Sabathia and Burnett and Teixeira. <laughs> they missed the playoffs in 2008. It was the first time in 15 years they had missed the playoffs. Now they came into this season having gone a full decade without getting to the World Series. And I think that also played into the, I don't want to say desperation, but the urgency to go sign Garrett Cole because they knew the the only team in the American League that really was a challenge to them was Houston. Mm -hmm. Well, you've just taken their ace away and put him on your team. And now I don't see any way that the Yankees don't go into the season as overwhelming favorites to come out of the American League. So it brings up a question that I'm, I'm trying to wrestle with right now. If we assume that MLB is going to hit the Astros with something 
pretty severe, and it hurts them at least a little bit for 2020. Obviously, it's stuff for down the road, and who knows what the individual penalty is going to be. But if it hurts them even a little bit in 2020, who's the second best team in the American League? Who's challenging the Yankees right now? Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and and I had to think about that for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think the Twins are a good team. I worry about their pitching. Yeah, they may take care of that over the next couple of days. Sure. I really like the Oakland A's because let's remember the A's won more than 95 games last season without Jesus Luzardo there except for a month, without A.J. Puck, uh, and without Sean Manaya for almost the entirety of the season. So those could be their three best starters coming into the year. And the left side of the infield of Matt Chapman and Marcus Simeon, if you do not know who they are, watch an A's game this year yeah. and you will grow to appreciate the greatness that both of them embody. I think the Rays are the answer. I th- think we need to say let's address this question February 15th because, like Jeff said, the Twins are certainly active in trying to improve that pitching. If the Twins were to sign Madison Bumgarner, I might have to readdress whether I think the Rays are number two or Twins are number two. But I think the issue is no matter which one of those teams is a number two, I think it's a distant number two. If Garrett Cole stays healthy and the Yankees don't have any real major injuries. And honestly, other than Cole, I don't think there's an injury they can't get through as they proved last season. So as long as Cole stays healthy, makes those 33 starts, throws his 230 innings, uh, I really think you know the Yankees should be overwhelming favorites no matter who you think is the second best team. And let's not sleep on the Cleveland Indians. Their rotation is so good. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Corey Kluber is going to be there or not, but if he is healthy and he is starting on opening day, followed by Shane Bieber, with Carlos Carrasco, with Aaron Savali, and oh, by the way, Mike Clevenger. Yeah. I mean, that's a rotation that matches up with the Yankees, and that is the team, I think, that the Yankees don't want to see during the postseason. Of course, the question then is, is Francisco Lindor playing shortstop behind them? (laughs) Because that's going to be a big factor in whether I think the Indians are a threat in the American League or not. You know, they've they've suddenly managed to rebuild and not really lose a step and in that division it's you know it's pretty easy for them you got a couple of doormats in that division who aren't going to get better anytime soon it would appear the Indians have pulled a little bit of a magic trick because you'd think their window was going to close I mean you talked about the Cubs I mean they're in the World Series together and the Indians have positioned themselves to kind of stay in this for at least a little while longer even if Corey Kluber is no longer part of this well I mean we haven't seen a team rebuild on the fly like that since oh the Yankees like three <laughs> years ago yeah but listen I, I still say that team started to rebuild honestly the night Derek Jeter broke his ankle and they haven't they didn't really truly recover for a couple of years until that dead until those deadline deals those are my favorite teams going into the 2020s the organizations that are capable of not tearing things down not saying we're going to punt for three or four years Mm -hmm. we're going to have a miserable fan base no one's going to watch us at the ballpark no one's going to watch us on tv what the arizona diamondbacks have been able to do in building a contending team with a top five farm system in baseball without having those high draft picks mike hazen and jared porter and amiel sade have done an incredible job there and they are a paragon for teams that can do it without the budget that the Yankees have. I got one more for you guys. Madison Bumgarner was a guy that Yankee fans have been salivating for. Trade deadlines, all that stuff. Like, all of a sudden he would have been, he would feel like a major disappointment if he walked away here and said, uh, the Yankees are going to end up with Madison Bumgarner. Uh, because you saw what Cole and Strasburg were in the postseason and you dreamed about that. Where do you think he's going to go now? And do you think it's going to be a bargain considering what all these other guys got? I mean, Zach Wheeler got $118 million. And I understand the fears with Madison Baumgartner. 
You know, he was up at 19 years old. He's throwing a lot of innings. But you know who he reminds me of? The guy who signed here five years ago, up before these winter meetings, the last nine-figure contract to sign at a winter meetings, John Lester. Hmm. And John Lester's contract, six years and $155 million, has turned out incredibly well for the Chicago Cubs. And I'm not saying Bumgarner's going to get, you know, 75% of that max, but... I think he's the same type of guy, someone who has not lost a lot of his velocity, someone who has exquisite command of his pitches and who relies on the fastball and the cutter, like John Lester. And not to mention a guy who is obviously playoff tested and you throw him into a race and he's not going to wilt. You know, I think Baumgartner would have been a huge disappointment for Yankee fans because they had set their sights on Garrett Cole and they'd been thinking about Garrett Cole for a decade. For the other teams that are in the mix for Bumgarner, I don't think any of those fan bases will be disappointed if their team signs him. You know, the Dodgers are a team people are talking about. Uh, You know, the Angels, the other team that missed out on Cole, we've heard them attached to it. The Twins, as we mentioned before, are going after pitching. So Bumgarner is going to have a really healthy market. He's going to make a nine-figure salary over the course of his contract. And uh, wherever he lands, he's going to help that team a lot. A lot. I do have one more for you guys. Which trade opportunity do you think is going to, you know, get heightened? Maybe not this week, but is going to kind of light up this winter. We talked about Bryant, Mookie Betts, Lindor. Those are the big names that people throw out there. Do you think any of these are going to impact this winter uh, before we get to spring training? Let's go with Mark first because I have two in mind, and I'm going to take the one that he doesn't. Okay. Well, I know one of them you're going to say. I'll leave that for you. I'm going to say that Boston's going to make a huge trade, but it's not going to be Mookie Betts. I think David Price is the guy they trade to get rid of some payroll. They've got a bunch of teams interested already. Uh, I think trading Price would be a less shock, a smaller shock to the system for the Boston fan base. You know, especially after the Yankees have traded Garrett Cole. Mm-hmm. I mean, sorry, Sign the Yankees him. have signed Garrett Cole, and all of a sudden you trade Mookie Betts. Red Sox fans would be up in arms. High and Bloom would be chased out of town. You know, before he moved into his new house. So I, I think David Price. Uh, of the guys you mentioned, I think Bryant is, is the one who has the most chance to get traded. But nothing is going to happen until they figure out that grievance situation. Right. Because if he's got one year or two years of control, uh, you know that, big that's a big on difference return. on the return, no question. I was thinking Price and Bryant, but I think you're thinking that I was thinking Nolan Arenado. I was, yeah. And Nolan Arenado is in a really interesting situation. It hasn't even been a year since he signed a seven-year, $234 million extension on top of the $26 million he was owed. That's what Anthony Rendon is shooting for right now. So you can pay Rendon that, but if a team loses out on Rendon, all of a sudden you potentially have someone in Arenado who is every bit as good as him, hasn't ever played a season in which he's not won a gold glove, hits 40 home runs, drives in 100 runs every year. He's a grinder. He's a baseball rat. He also has a no-trade clause and an opt-out clause after the third year of his contract. So there are some complications there, and he may well wind up Colorado Rocky at the beginning of the season. But there are opportunities for him to get out of Colorado and go to a contender. My thanks to Jack Curry, John Flaherty from the Yes Network, Jeff Passan from ESPN, and Mark Feinsand from MLB.com. If you missed any of our interviews this week from the winter meetings in San Diego, including Joe Girardi, the new manager of the Phillies, Aaron Boone, Carlos Beltran, the managers of the Yankees and the Mets, David Wright, Derek Shelton, Billy Epler, and more, you can check out the archive at WFAN.com and Radio.com. Special Winter Meetings edition of 30 with Murdy here. Until next time, thank you all for listening. I'm Sweeney Murdy. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. 
Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.